Just a few announcements as we continue to move into February. Next Saturday morning, uh, annual meeting. And uh, you're all invited to that, 9.30 here in the worship center. And uh, really celebrate what God did last year. And then uh, we take some time looking forward to this year's budget and the vision for 2023. So that's next Saturday. Uh, a ministry opportunity, if you would like to participate and bless the... Uh, the uh, community, the homeless shelter, uh, Cindy Mullins is heading up a wonderful ministry where we provide lunches and items uh, for the homeless shelter lunches. So we're going to do that as a church February 19th and 26th. There's a sign-up sheet on the cart. And what it is is you're not going to actually make the lunches. You're going to contribute, if you would like to, contribute items that will be used for the lunches. So there's a list of items at the welcome cart. And if you would like to donate uh, a particular item, just put your name and phone number next to that, and Cindy will follow up with you. So February 19th and 26th, the next two Sundays, we have an opportunity to bless uh, the homeless ministry here in uh, the Ojai Valley. Uh, along with that, I encourage you to look at the bulletin online and in person so you can uh, stay up to date uh, with upcoming events, not just uh, in the near future, but into the year. Uh, men, just kind of you'll hear about this more next Sunday, but we got a men's breakfast coming up in March. So uh, love to connect with the men in March. You know, we're going to continue our message on stewardship this morning. We've been in this series for a while, and we've been listening to what uh, the Word of God has said the past few weeks on stewardship. And if you haven't heard, stewardship is a heart issue. If you haven't heard... Stewardship is a heart issue. There you go. I'd like to hear an amen. Nothing wrong with amens and hallelujahs in church. Amen? Amen. amen. All right. So I want to refresh your memory just a little bit because three weeks ago, Mark Bodycomb, who isn't here, so we can say anything we want about him now. So Mark Bodycomb, Pastor Mark, as he's known in some circles, he taught from the Word of God on stewardship, didn't he? He taught from God's word that we are to be stewards of our spiritual gifts, that each and every one of us has been given by God. That's what he spoke about. And we're to steward them. Why? Why are we to steward these spiritual gifts that God has given us? You see, because this side of eternity, this side of eternity we are called to glorify God in everything, in everything that we do. Amen? And the first gift that God even gave us was what? Life. Life was given to us by God. So if we start with the heart issue and we consider that we are supposed to steward everything that God has given us, we start with life. That's what stewardship is about, our life. But doesn't that seem kind of broad? That's kind of a broad statement, isn't it? Well, I'm just going to steward my life. I think we have to figure out what that means. Because Pastor Mark, as he's known, you see, he gave many scriptures to support this stewardship of our spiritual gifts, not the least of which was Philippians 2.3, which says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So look at those words. Do you see the heart issue in there? Do you see it? You see, because I wrote down uh, when Mark was uh, preaching, because I always write down notes when people are preaching. So I wrote down when Mark was preaching on my notes three Sundays ago, because I want to make sure that if the Lord speaks to me, I want to write it down, because at my age, you never know how long you're going to remember it. So I write it down. And conversely, if I hear something from a pulpit, whether I'm listening to it online or at this church, you see, and it makes me kind of cock my head sideways, I want to write it down because I go back to the Word of God and check it out. That's just what I do. I want to see if it measures up to what? The absolute truth of the Word of God. Anyway, I made a note of this quote from Mark, and he put this quote on the board, and I'm going to do it again. It came from a contemporary theologian with great wisdom and pastoral heart, Mark Bodycomb, and he said, it's not about you. That's offensive, isn't it? It's not about you. But quite frankly, that kind of sums up the biblical construct on stewardship. It's not about us. It isn't. It's about him. And it's about others. And as we steward our life, you see, we have to think about that because we're, frankly, a distant third at best when it comes to stewarding our life. Now, we don't like that, do we? Because how many times do you put yourself first? Ah, there you go. There is one honest soul in the house today. So another reminder... Here, since we're on this series on on, uh, biblical stewardship, it's important to understand the meaning of the word steward because words matter, as you know. And the first time that the word is even used in Scripture is way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, the first time the word steward is used. And it's used when God puts Adam in the garden. And what does God tell Adam to do in the garden? To steward it. Now, he did a pretty good job of that for a short time. But the word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, when we bring it forward into the Greek, is oikonomos. Put that slide up. That's the Greek word, oikonomos. I want you to remember that, okay? Oikonomos. So you think about it this way. I think about it like oink. <laughs> oi, or oi ve. Oikonomos, the Greek word for stewardship, and it is translated manager. You see, once we establish the fact that we are to steward anything, and we start with the heart and it's our life, we are the managers over our life. We must manage it. You see, when God put Adam in the garden, he gave him free reign and said, Here, Adam, steward the garden. There was only one exception that he gave him, right? Yeah, we all know how that turned out. But he told him to steward it. He had free reign. 
Now, it's the same word that's used a plethora of times in the Scriptures in the Old and the New, Test- New Testament. Oikonomos is used many, many times. And it's used to refer to everything from slaves and masters. It's used from the preachers of the Word of God, preachers and teachers, oikonomos. It is used in elders and bishops in the church to oikonomos. And then it's finally used in 1 Peter 4.10, and it makes reference to you. Oikonomos in the New Testament in 1 Peter, Peter's epistle, it makes reference to you. Because you are the church. If you are a believer, you are the church. And that's what 1 Peter 4.10 does. You see, it makes it very, very clear that you are the steward of everything that God has graciously given you. Everything. But don't take my word for it. Look it up yourself. First Peter 4.10. You should probably take a note of that. You see, oikonomos, again, to refresh your memory, just two weeks ago, when Richie, that's Pastor Richie, as he's known in every circle. <laughs> you see, Pastor Richie preached biblical truth on the priority to oikonomos over greed and covetousness. It's a powerful message from here on greed and covetousness. And from my notes here that I took when Pastor Richie, as he's known in every circle, I took notes on that. And I was reminded that from Luke chapter 12, that the stewardship, oikonomos, is a matter of the heart. That's where it comes from, Luke chapter 12, you see, because ultimately we're going to do what's important to us. People do what they want to do. Amen? Okay. People do what they want to do. And that's exactly why the Bible tells us that we have to be aware and be on guard. Because if we're not careful, we're just going to do what we want to do. And if you translate that into the first person singular, I just am going to do what I want to do, you are not in an oikonomos position. Because you see, all of a sudden, it's about you, and it's about me, if we put it in the first person singular, right? So we're told not to do that. And Ricci preached on that. And also from my notes two weeks ago, I learned a little something about the consumption assumption, a term I'd never heard before. And that's a cultural thing, I think. Or is it a biblical thing? Well, it might depend on what your heart condition is if you're into the consumption assumption. And if you don't remember what, pre- what was preached by Richie, Pastor Richie, two weeks ago, I would suggest that you go back to the website or the app or, or the YouTube channel. If you've never done that, go back and look at that sermon again from the 29th of January, just two weeks ago. It was a good one. In fact, I would tell you, be so bold, that in the 13 years since God planted this church, I haven't heard a bad sermon here yet. Today might be the exception. I don't know. <laughs> you will have to be the oikonomos over that. So, then Pastor Richie used another term, and I put an asterisk by this one because I'd really never heard this one before. He talked about lifestyle inflation. Pastor Richie used this term, and it's right there in my notes, and there was an asterisk because I thought, wow, that's really interesting. 
And I love it because when he was talking about this lifestyle inflation, what it meant as he explained it to us two weeks ago, what it meant was, as you see, that we get this money, we earn it or we inherit it or we steal it or wherever we get the money from, right? Well, we spend it. And then we spend all of it. And then we want more. Because what we had wasn't enough. Oikonomos. We heard Pastor Richie quote from Scripture in Ecclesiastes in 1 Timothy. It's right there in my notes. Colossians, Luke. And he cautioned us about what? The love of money. He cautioned us about money as an idol because the, the word was being preached about covetousness and greed, right? So the warnings from these scriptures gave us great opportunity to understand that we must be careful about the love of money or making it an idol or giving in proportion to what we've received as a gift from God and how it's not, absolutely not, about lifestyle inflation and how much wealth and stuff that we can accumulate. When I got home and my wife was listening to Pastor Richie's sermon as I walked in the door at about 1.30, two Sundays ago, she pushed the button and she stopped it. She had a comment about worship music. And then she said, Stuff Mart! <laughs> Is that like the plastic stuff from China store? That's what she said. See, and if you think these warnings in, from the Word of God about, about the love of money and money being an idol and it's not about being a, a, a you know, lifestyle inflation and, and, and all of that stuff. You see, if you think that that's an American culture thing, well, it isn't. It's not an American culture thing. You see, these warnings in Scripture are about a sin thing. Sin. It's a sin thing. You see, and that, church, is universal. So you've got to get out of the mindset that this American thing, it's not. You see, because about a decade ago or so, I had the privilege of going to Africa and working in Capsawar, Kenya, where Richie and Nadine's eldest daughter is there with her husband, Zeke, and their little one and another one about to come along, and they are serving at the Capsawar Hospital in medical missions, as we call it. They live there. Well, I was there with a brother of mine from the Baptist church down the road, Joel Griffin, great brother of mine. I mean, he's a Baptist, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, he's still a good guy. Anyway, we were there. We were working on this hospital project because we got asked to, and, and uh, it, was a, it was an ongoing thing. We, we spent almost two years there off and on. We got done with the hospital wing. We came home because it was important to us to make sure that we were still married. Uh, when we found out that we were after being gone for so long. So we went back and we built this, this duplex there for people like Zeke and Layla who are there now because there wasn't enough housing. So what a privilege it was to work on this project and, and, and build there. And we hired this handful of Kenyan guys. Okay? So we had these guys. There's about six or eight of them that we, that we had hired. Uh, because, and it was great, because we had a lineup. Believe it or not, we needed six or eight guys. Do you know how many guys lined up when they found out that there was going to be six or eight guys to be hired? 300. 300 Kenyan men showed up because there's no work there. It's an agrarian society, which means that when you're in Capsular, Kenyan, if you don't grow your own food, you don't eat. So we were going to pay them the standard wages for a Kenyan worker, and they got paid in cash. We had to pay them in cash. 
Uh, it was a hassle, by the way, really a hassle, not to just write a payroll check, but they don't do it that way there. What you do is you pay them in cash, and so we had to pay them in cash every Saturday afternoon when we were done with our work week. And by the way, you know how much money they made? $2.30 a day. A day. And the work day in Capsular, Kenya, is 10 hours. Do the math. Anyway, we're eating lunch, and we're sitting there with these guys, there's six or eight of them, and they speak Swahili, and we speak English. It's kind of awkward, you know, but, uh, but uh, I still remember the one word, the only word in Swahili I know is mazuri, <laughs> which, is kind of a, which is kind of a greeting, right? So if anybody says something to you, and you're walking down the street, you just say, ah, mazuri. You know, you go to church, and somebody says, praise God, in Swahili, and you say, ah, mazuri, because that's the only word you know. Anyway, we're sitting around, we're eating lunch with these guys, and in, all, in kind of broken English, one of the Kenyan guys turns around, I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he looks at me in broken English, and he says, how many cows do you own? <laughs> so I'm looking a little befuddled, I look over at Joel, kind of shrug, Joel the Baptist, you know, I look down, and, no, he's a good guy, anyway, I looked at him, and, and he says, Bill, he wants to know how rich you are. Oh, okay. I'm sometimes a little slow on the uptake. So I'm thinking, how do you answer a Kenyan guy that speaks Swahili and I speak English and he wants to know how many cows I have because that's how they measure wealth in that culture. I don't own any cows. So I come up with a brilliant idea. I have cars. And I'm thinking, aha, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to translate it from cows to cars. And I, I'm so, and I, you know, at that time I owned five cars. A little challenging as this is a message on stewardship. But anyway, I owned five cars at the time, so I'm pretty proud of myself. And I turned to him. By the way, his name is Moses. I turned to Moses, and in perfect English, because I don't have anything else that I can speak, and I said, I own five cows. Dead silence. Dead silence. And then he says to me, I don't own any cows can you pay me more money? In almost perfect English. You see, it doesn't matter if it's cars or cows. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're sitting here in the American culture or if you're in an African Kenyan culture. It doesn't matter. You see, money and lifestyle inflation is real. Thank you for preaching that. That was the big takeaway that I got from a couple of weeks ago. Then last Sunday, Pastor Randy, whose side hustle is fire investigation and chimney sweeping, as I understand it, right? That's your side, that's your side hustle. He spoke about stewarding what? The Word of God. Brother, I want to thank you because you know that that's a passion of mine. The Word of God is a passion of mine. It has been my entire walk with the Lord. Now, to be a steward of the Word of God, there's a couple of things that you've got to know. First of all, to be a steward of something like the Word of God, you've got to know it. And in order to know it, you've got to read it. And to read it, you've got to study it. And to study it, 
you then got to share it. And to share it effectively, you have to live it. Amen? Okay. With more enthusiasm, amen? Amen. Amen. All right. You see, that's how you oikonomos the Word of God. And as I always love to say, because I heard it from somebody else, so I've stolen it and used it the whole, my whole Christian walk, you got to get into the Word of God so that the Word of God can get into you. And if you're not doing that, you are not oikonomosing, if that's a word, the Word of God. So enough said. Now, the Word of God is chock full of principles and precepts and everything that you need to know about living a godly life is contained in these pages. You see why you got to be a steward and oikonomos of the Word of God? It's in there. It's by design. The psalmist knew this well. When in Psalm 119, 130, he said, The teaching of your word gives light, so even the simple can understand. No excuse. Like I said, I'm... Typically not the sharpest tack in the box, so it's always good when Scripture is simple. And the things that are absolutely fundamental, foundational, and absolute, absolute, absolute truth are generally presented in a very simple way in Scripture. So, if you're going to take God at His word, right? Are you? Good. If you're going to take him at his word, and therefore you desire to oikonomos, that stewardship, have stewardship over your life, what does it take to do that? What does it take to be a steward, a manager over your life? Well, if you have the desire to do that, that ain't going to cut it. The desire is not going to get it done. That's the bad news. There is good news, however, your disciplines will. Your disciplines will. 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but makes us or gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You see, you simply have to appropriate the truth as a believer and the power that you've been given because you've been given every bit of power you will ever need to be a steward over your life. Stewarding your spiritual gifts, stewarding your priorities, stewarding the word of God, and what we'll talk about next, because you know it's coming, stewarding oikinomos over your finances. Now, there are two things that you are in absolute control of in this process. And oikonomos, stewardship, is a process. It's a process. You are in absolute control of your attitude and your effort. You might want to write those two words down. Attitude and effort. You are in complete control over those. See, because that's true in stewardship and in all of life. Your attitude and your effort. So if you long like me to hear the words of the Lord when you stand before him and give an account of what you did in terms of stewarding, what he already gave you, if you long to hear those words, wow, well done, good and faithful 
steward. If you want to hear those words, it's going to take some discipline because stewardship takes some disciplines and attitude and some effort, right? So before we get started right here, right from the top, because I want to talk a little bit about that for the next couple hours. Before we get started, we got to get we got to deal with some biblical truths regarding our biblical responsibility to steward our life and our finances, okay? So we need to acknowledge one thing right now up front about attitude and effort, and this is often not spoken about at church, but nonetheless it's true. Say I just want to put it on the table. We got to put it on the table because that's where truth belongs, right up front, okay? We got to put it on the table. I think we all need to understand the most common obstacle to being a good steward, especially of our finances, biblically speaking, all right? All right. Now, I want to be sensitive, and because I'm on this side, I I, I think I, I need to be tactful. That's not always easy for me, both being sensitive and tactful at the same time. So... Let's do it this way. Um, Each one of us here today has something in common, right this very second, okay? So I want you to, I want to try to do it this way to be sensitive and tactful. What I'd like you to do is just take a second or two, uh, look around. Go ahead. You can turn around. Look around. Look. Look at everybody sitting here. Look at everybody around. Look at home, okay? So every one of you have something in common. You know what it is? We're here, that's good. So, that's common. So, the other thing that I can see that perhaps you can't see as well, you see, what I see that you all have in common is that you're all very attractive. <laughs> but that's not where I'm going with this. <laughs> it's true, it's true. But that's not where I'm going. Um, let me put it this way. So, what are you all doing right now? You're breathing? Okay, what else? What? Listening, what else? Sitting. Did I hear that? Somebody said sitting. That's great. And what are you sitting on? No, you're not. What are you sitting on? You're sitting on your posteriors, people. That's what you're sitting on. And you see, that church is the common, most primary obstacle to faithful, obedient Biblical financial stewardship. Why? Because you got to get up off of your posterior and do something. That's as tactful as I know how to put it. So let's go. Let's first start with a biblical precept. The precept is that it's not your money. I didn't hear one amen. Because before you leave here today, I want you to understand that the Word of God says it's not your money. Amen. Amen. Haggai, woo, we don't go there very often, do we? In Haggai 2.8, the Lord says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Any questions? Any questions? The psalmist said he makes it simple. Is that simple? Okay, who owns it? Pretty clear, isn't it? He said so. All right. 
to steward the word of God, you need to believe it. The question is, do you? But doesn't the check that you have with you that you're going to leave in the box on the way out, doesn't it have your name up in the left corner there with your account number? And doesn't it have your name on it? Yeah, of course it does. But not as the owner of it. It has your name on it as the manager of it. Because that's all you're doing with it. So you're just managing it. And then what about, what about your Venmo account? Or your Apple Pay? Or your PayPal account? Ernie, that's Ernie. That's a le- that, um, they have these devices. They're electronic. And you know you can, do, you can do banking and stuff, Ernie, electronically. You don't need a scribe or a parchment or anything anymore. Okay, good. I, Ernie, you know I love you. You see, your accounts all have your name on them, but they're not your account. Only as the manager. Only as the manager. But that's not the, what the world tells you, because the world tells you, you worked hard for that. You worked hard and you put it in there. It's yours. Because you earned it, Right? Well, that's right. You did. You earned it. It's true. Then you look at what God told Moses back in Deuteronomy. He was talking to the Israelites, and by default, he's talking to us. Look at what, look at what God told Moses to tell the Israelites and us in Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Get it? You see, even the gift that he gave you to generate the income is indeed a gift that was given to you by God. So it's not just the money. It's the ability to even earn it. I was talking to, I was talking to, um, well, this is good. So I was talking to Vinny uh, before church, and he was telling me a little bit about his new job, and he's excited, and he's, and he's working in this big company, and, and they're giving him a little bit of freedom as he's trying to maneuver his way through all this. He's got a great boss and everything, and we were talking about the gift of God to even have the, and possess the, the, the abilities that he has to do that, and it's so exciting because he's just really content right now. Not, forget the money. He's really content in being in this position where he has the opportunity to understand it. It's by God's grace that he was given the, 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 the skills and the ability and the intellect to put in the effort, which he has to do. He's not sitting around in his apartment saying, oh God, please give me the effort. He has to put in the effort because he got off his posterior. I love that. So even the ability is a gift from God. Romans 11.36 says in the Amplified, love the Amplified because it's embedded with a little bit of commentary to help the simple like me understand it. Romans 11.36, for from him all things originate, and through him all things live and exist. See yourself? And to him are all things directed. To him be glory and honor forever. Amen? Amen. See, this is oikonomos, precept number one. Because church, if we don't believe that it all came from God and that it all belongs to God, that's going to affect every single decision that we make. Every single one. We have to understand that. It's not your money. (laughs) Got it? 
Alright. Very few amens, because we don't like that one, do we? My money. My money. It's my account. Give a little bit to them. It's my money. No, it's not. Not if you're going to oikonomos, the word of God, that says it's his. All right. So we got to start with that truth, frankly, because otherwise you will suffer consequences. That has little to do with the quantity of money you have, very little to do with the quantity. But more importantly, it has to do with how much you worry about it, right? How much anxiety? Do you, anybody have anxiety over how much money there is available to do whatever it is that you need, want to do with it? Anybody? Come on, you're a liar if you say no. That's a sin. You see, because once we deal with this and we understand that we can get rid of the worry and the anxiety and the lack of joy that comes from understanding it's mine, when you realize it's just his, you see, you will begin to understand what stewardship looks like. And it has that great theologian, Mark Bodycone, said, it's not about you, because it isn't. We just got to get to that place, right? It's not about us. That's sage wisdom, and it's biblically true. It's not about us. Number two, there's a biblical principle here as opposed to a precept. And I want to, let's talk about the difference between a principle and a precept, because I think sometimes the church gets really confused about that. A biblical precept is a command, and you'll see that all throughout Scripture, where God commands us to do certain things and act certain ways, because of why? Because it glorifies Him, and it's for our benefit. Isn't it crazy how we're so stupid that we do things that are, that are outside of the will of God, and then we wonder why, why we're not blessed? It's the craziest darn thing. But a biblical principle, on the other hand, is a foundational truth that we find in the Word of God that we are to steward. It is a foundational truth that is intended for a more broad application, right? It's a broad application in helping us make all the decisions that we need to make in life. So there's a difference between a precept, which is a command, and a principle, which is a broad application of a fundamental truth nonetheless, okay? Got it. So here's another principle. Heart, actually, it's two principles. Actually, it's a principle and a precept. Actually, I don't really care. It's in the Word of God, and that's what matters. Hard work pays, and money is not evil. Well, most of us make money the old-fashioned way. Martin, how do you make money? The old-fashioned way. (laughs) That's right. It works. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I've never known... I've heard about, but I've never personally known a trust fund baby. <laughs> Although it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Most of us just do it the old-fashioned way. We, we go to work, right? That's how it just works for most of us. And you see, this biblical principle, two principles that I've tied together here, right, are for illustration purposes because it's so uncommon in the church often for people to understand the principle and the precept here of hard work pays and money is not evil. Hard work pays, Proverbs 13, 4. Listen to this. This may apply. I don't know. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Anyone? That's just common sense, isn't it? Everybody here is going to agree that that's just common sense. Of course, unless your attitude is entitlement. You ever run across somebody that feels entitled? Anybody? See, because the entitled people are referred to in Scripture, in Proverbs 13, 4, as lazy. 
It's a different word, but it has the same basic application, right? And how about Proverbs 12:11? A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Well, what does that mean as we drive that bus closer to home? Well, I thought about it this way this, this last week as I was preparing for this. I was interested in looking at the Mega Millions jackpot. And the last time that it hit a billion dollars, I don't know what a billion dollars is in terms of having it as income, but the odds for winning the last mega uh, millions jackpot that exceeded a billion dollars was one in 303 million. So let me just tell you, I have some advice for you. Based on Proverbs 12:11, don't chase fantasies. I mean, seriously, don't chase fantasies. I heard somebody say that the, the odds of winning the Powerball jackpot when it's that high at a, at a billion dollars is, is like the same odds as getting struck by lightning 17 times in one day. <laughs> but you see, on the other side, biblically speaking, on the other side of lazy for all you hard workers out there, there are some biblical warnings in terms of precepts. These are commands, right? And here's a precept for every workaholic in the house today. Ready? Psalm 62.10, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Anyone focus on, the, on your wealth and your income and your money more than anything else? Well, you do when you're upside down. And the psalmist says, hey, if your wealth increases and things are starting to go good, don't focus on that and make it the center of your life. Why? Because what should be the center of our life? This is the Sunday school answer class. Jesus. Because see, if Jesus isn't the center of your life, man, you're wasting a lot of, a lot of good energy. Proverbs 23, 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Not quit your job. Quit focusing on the money, on the increasing of your wealth. There's a whole contentment component to that that Pastor Richie taught on just a couple of weeks ago. So biblical oikonomos of money is pretty clear. It's God's money, number one. Number two, don't be lazy. Number three, work hard, and I would include smart in that equation, and don't make your work or your wealth the center of your life. Got it? Biblical stewardship of your personal finances. And there is absolutely no prohibition on making, making a lot of money in Scripture. There is no prohibition on hard work. There is no prohibition if your barns are completely filled and your personal financial situation is flush. There's no prohibition on that. Biblical principle number two or three or four, depending on how you're counting these, is, of course, that money's not evil. And I hear this one messed up all the time, right? Because that comes from 1 Timothy 6.10. It's misquoted all the time. Let's look at it in two different translations. 1 Timothy 6.10 from the ESV. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves 
with many pangs. Pangs isn't a word that I used often. So let's look at it in the Amplified. For the love of money, that is the greedy desire for it and the willingness to gain it unethically, is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through and through with many sorrows. Don't raise your hands. But I'm telling you, has anybody had many, sor- many sorrows in their life and have it be associated with money? Of course. Of course we have. But let's be clear, most of us already know this, don't we? Because it's not the money, it's the love of it that's the problem, right? We already know that, and maybe you've heard people say or said it, seen it on a bumper sticker, or I've heard it from a pulpit which is why I write things down. Praise God it wasn't at this church. I've heard it said that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's a lie. It's not true because that's not what Scripture says. If anybody tells you that money is the root of all evil, send them to 1 Timothy 6.10 and that'll clear it up. Right? Clear it up. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, who embraced... Arminianism, that's a word for those of you who are in the advanced course of theology, Arminianism, you might want to look that one up. He said about 1 Timothy 6.10 and the remaining 2,300 verses in Scripture that talk about money, yes, 2,300 additional Scriptures in, in the Bible that talk about money, isn't that crazy? There's more scripture verses that talk about money than there is about sin or hell or anything else. It's crazy. I think the Lord knew that we would struggle with this. John Wesley said, in speaking about money, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Pretty good advice from a very good and famous theologian more famous than even Mark Bodycomb, who's not here. Anybody want to say anything bad about Mark while he's not here? Because, you know, next week we won't be able to do that. Not really. He's a good guy, too. He's not even a Baptist. Just kidding. Here's another biblical principle. Be content with what you have. We're not going to spend much time on this because just two weeks ago we heard a sermon from this very pulpit from Pastor Richie that talked about just the opposite of contentment, which is what? Greed and covetousness. But here are three verses to kind of cement this into your head as we wrap up our series on what? Stewardship, oikonomos. First, Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Stop. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? You see the contentment in that? Are you content with having just what you need? Or is it lifestyle inflation that's driving you crazy because you've got to have the new car, you've got to have the bigger house, you've got to have the this, the that, the other. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. He wants it to be enough. Proverbs 16.8 in the message, I love this. Far better to be right and poor than to be wrong and rich. <laughs> I love that. Because you've got to check your money motives, right? What is your motive? Because that's what, that's what the Lord's looking at. He's looking at your motive. 
Because behind the motive is usually an action, right? There's an action that comes from our motive. So watch your motive. And then 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, Yet true godliness with contentment, it is itself great wealth. You see that? Godliness with contentment in the Bible is equated to great wealth. It has nothing to do with your income, your savings, your 401k, your retirement plan, your next promotion, nada. Verse 7, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Amen? But we're not. But we're not. It's a stewardship issue. You see, because your attitude and your effort is what you're in control of. That's an attitude issue. If you are not content there, Lord... Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, if we have enough food and enough clothing, I mean, really, at the end of the day, we got here broken naked in the same way we're going to be leaving. So be content with that. So aren't these, there's just a few little biblical principles and precepts here. Aren't they nice? Come on, smile. Yeah. They're really nice, aren't they? Be content. That's so nice. Oh, just be content. Okay. And don't be lazy. Go ahead, be a hard worker. Isn't that nice? Makes sense too, doesn't it? Yeah, it's hard work. Don't be lazy. When oh, it all belongs to God. That's so nice. It is. It's very nice. And that takes pressure off too, because you see, if God already owns it, doesn't that take pressure off? Well, maybe not if you don't have the right attitude. Because if you don't have the right attitude, maybe that puts pressure on. It's up to you. And we, couldn't we just agree more that we got here broken naked and it's the same way we're leaving? Because Job was the first one that said that in Job, what, 120 something? I forget where it is exactly. But that's what Job said. After having everything taken away from him, the richest man in the world, boom, broke. Family gone, money gone, everything gone. Sitting in ashes. What an attitude he had. I hope I can be that way. But these things are all true, so nice. So then, what do we do with it? Because you can sit here and listen to a sermon. You can, you can do anything you want, right? But, but, but the point is, what are you going to do? You see, because it's effort. It takes effort, right? What are you sitting on? Thank you. I'm glad you said that properly because, you know, we have to be cautious. We're at church after all. So we're sitting on something that we got to get off of in order to put some effort into being a good steward, right? So what are we going to do? we got to do something with it because the reality is you see those two big doors that open right there? You, you, you want to read? There's two reasons that those doors are really big coming into this place. One, because they're always open for anyone who has ever been anywhere and done anything to be welcome in this place. That's why they're big and open. When we get done here today, they're going to be big and open, and you're going to go the other way. And right outside those doors, for some of you, there is either a fire that is smoldering or raging. 
in your personal finances. Because if you haven't noticed, inflation is at a 40-year high. And if you haven't noticed, I went to the store and eggs were on the list. Have you bought eggs lately? I was at Westridge and paid over 10 bucks. That means an egg is a buck. I'm going to start buying some chickens. <laughs> if you would like to buy a house, which is almost impossible in our community, you're going to pay 6.75% interest on a mortgage right now. And some of you have used up all your savings if you ever even had any. And others of you are paying interest only on three credit cards that you have that are maxed out. And others of you are one missed car payment away from that repossession letter because they bought a car you couldn't afford. Or maybe outside those doors when you leave here today, you're fine. I'm fine. Maybe you're fine and your current income is totally sufficient to meet your needs, but you're 50 and you don't have any retirement savings, any retirement plan, and you're counting on Social Security that may or may not be there. It doesn't matter that it's your money. When it's time for you to retire, there still may be a goose egg out there. Zero, nada, zilch. See, that's what's outside the doors. And when we talk about debt, some of you are paying, as I said, with one credit card off to another credit card, and some people are getting that 0% credit card. Why? Because the other two credit cards that they have are maxed out, and if they get a 0%, they don't, all, they don't have to pay any interest at all. The problem is, is that six months later, after that time period has gone by, and it's no longer a 0% interest credit card, you're going to pay 24% interest on that debt. How do you attack fires like that? and still be a steward of what God gave you that came from him and belongs to him. How do you do it? Well, first we have to start by recognizing that whatever you do, you have to do it all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10. Everything you do, you do for the glory of God. If you don't start there, stewardship gets whacked in the knees. And then you have to agree with Proverbs 15, 22, that says, without counsel, plans fail. Did you hear that? Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 15, 22. You should probably write that down. You see, because after understanding that Proverbs 15, 22 alludes to having a plan, I'm sure, I'm sure that you're going to understand that without a counsel, plans fail. Because if you don't get around people that have already been there, done that. Okay, this is, I want a real show of hands. How many people have done really stupid things with their money? Look at all the potential wisdom that is in this room. <laughs> you see, because if you don't have a plan for your finances, you got to make one. And if you don't know how to make a financial plan for your personal finances, there's no shame in that. You're never expected to know something you don't know. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you should know something that you don't know until you've learned it. Then you know it. There's no shame in not knowing how to put a financial plan together. 
But church, you got to get over your bad self and ask for some help if you don't, right? And I will tell you that one of the hardest parts of financial oikonomos is exactly that, getting off of our posteriors and asking for help. Because when we do that, when we plan the financial work that needs to be done, and then we, began to, and we begin to work the financial plan that we've put together, and we do it how? All to the glory of God. When that is done, and it surely can be done, I've never seen somebody so upside down in their personal finances that it can't be overcome by, by, by providing for the self-discipline necessary to put biblical precepts and principles in place. It works every single time. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. It can be done, and when it's done, it will set you free. And free from what? Well, how about stress and worry and anxiety? Anyone? And conflict, especially if you're married. I I thought I'd get an amen to that. Because you know that 50% of the marriages in this country end up in divorce. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? And it's no different inside the church than outside the church. And you know what the primary reason is for divorces in this country alone? Finances. Never happen if you oikonomos your personal finances in a godly home where you are honoring God. It would never happen, Right? Not to mention the selfishness and the greed that Richie preached on a couple of weeks ago. So if financial freedom is a biblical principle, where do you start? Proverbs 15.22 says, have a plan and get wise counsel. So do we start there? No, we don't start there. Remember, because this is about stewardship, right? And what's the first thing about stewardship? Where does stewardship start? It's a hard issue. Your starting point has to be that you want to glorify God in everything you do about stewarding your life and your finances. That's where it has to start because if you don't start there, you will be purposeless, not purposeful in everything that you decide to do going forward. That's right. So what we have to do is, this is pretty simple and we'll, we'll go through this pretty quickly. Um, I, I created a, no, I didn't create it. That would be a lie and that would be a sin. I stole it off the internet. That's what I did. And it's, it's really just a sample of a very simple zero-sum-based budget, which is simply this. It simply says, how much money am I making right now? And how much money am I spending right now? And what's left over down there at the bottom? And if it's zero-sum and you ain't spending more than you're taking in, well, guess what? You're doing fine. But if that number on the bottom is a negative, you ain't doing fine. You ain't doing fine. you upside down you got to have a plan to fix that, see? Because most people don't even know where they're spending their money. But this is a sermon and not a seminar, so we can only hit the high points. If it was a seminar, we'd have lunch and you'd be back. But it's not. But there's two really important points that I want you to get here. Because in terms of stewardship, financial especially, but your life, absolutely, it's a heart issue and you got to have a plan and you got to be disciplined. Because most people aren't. Because Proverbs 22.7b says the borrower is slave to the lender. And this, of course, is one of the major contributors to financial bondage, consumerism, lifetime in, uh, or lifestyle inflation, and borrowing, right? And all the like. 
debt, and you probably already know this, but let me just give this to you quickly. As of last Thursday, your United States federal government was $31,544,153,000,000 of debt at 10 o'clock last Thursday, and it's going up by the second. And if you're a taxpayer sitting in this room right now, your portion of that that is your debt that you had nothing to do with is $246,867. So put that on your financial statement. And another fun fact, if you live in the state of California, which most of you do, the state of California is in debt to the tune of, as of last Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, to the tune of $565,760,000,000. Now, it looks like our political leaders need to get into the Word of God so that the Word of God is into them so they can figure out how to be stewards, right? But we've got to bring it closer to home because Proverbs 22.7 will make this very real. The borrower is slave to the lender. So the lender. So in 2022, let's bring it real close to home and let's talk about your credit cards, the ones you're sitting on right now. Well, no, we know what you're sitting on, but they might be in your wallet. See, there was $841 billion in credit card debt in the United States as of 2022. And that is $5,221 per credit card. And the average number of credit cards per household is 1.5. Now, we've got to be careful with averages because my daddy taught me a long time ago that if you put your head in the oven and your feet in the freezer, on average, you're comfortable. <laughs> that's, that's not true. Because somebody in here that has $30,000 on their credit cards and they can't hardly make the minimum payment is different than the guy that has $1,000 on, on his credit card and he can not only make the minimum payment, but he's paying it off quick, right? So on a, the average doesn't work there. So this applies to you. But here's what God's word means in numbers when the word in Proverbs 22.7 says the borrower is slave to the lender. Because let's say you needed a 75-inch surround sound TV. Because who doesn't? Right? Who doesn't need a 75-inch surround sound, right? But when you buy that, you see, it's really tough to watch those great movies on that old beat-up couch you got. So you might as well add that in. So go ahead and get the couch. And so, and my wife taught me a long time ago, don't ever buy a new lamp. Because when you buy the lamp, then you got to buy the chair, then you got to buy the rug, then you, you know, so it's just like a snowball, right? So anyway, so you do all those things. And by the way, you got to add the gaming system, because who doesn't want to have a new gaming system, baby, when you got a 75-inch TV with surround sound, right? And so, uh, because your computer's slow, you go ahead and throw the iMac on there because you know you got, there's a credit limit on the card, so you throw that in there, right? And those Bose headphones that you've always wanted, might as well put them on there. It's only 400 bucks, come on. And the cool thing is, is because your credit card's got a $7,500 limit, right? And you've only got $2,500 on it, and you're getting close to the limit anyway, and it's all going to be good because you you have a great boss. He just gave you a $200 a month raise. And after taxes, you got $178 right here. And it's burning a hole, baby. I, I can afford it. I got $178 that I didn't have last week. I got a raise. This is great. So here's the picture in numbers. You see, you take that $7,500 and you put it on that credit card that you got because you got the limit. They gave you the limit. And then... You're paying 16% interest on that card, but you got $178 a month. So you make the $178 a month payment, no big deal, right? And it only takes 96 of those to get to a zero balance. So in eight years, you paid off the $7,500. Isn't that great? 
It only took eight years, yippee, $9,588 in interest later. That $7,500 just cost you seventeen dollars The borrower is slave to the lender. Do you get it? There's no freedom in that. None. Because it's just stuff, you see. And there's no wisdom in spending money that you don't have which means debt, for lifestyle inflation. I don't care how nice the 75-inch TV is. No one ever borrowed themselves into financial freedom, ever. Proverbs 21.20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but the fools spend whatever they get. That's an oucher right there. So check your heart, make a plan, seek counsel, employ biblical wisdom. Let me close with this. Because no sermon on biblical financial stewardship is complete without talking about. Wendy, one more time. Oh, no. He's going to talk about it. Here it comes. You see, you've got to remember there are biblical precepts and principles. A precept is a command. A principle is a foundational truth that is applicable in all things in guiding you towards godly life decisions. Remember that. Because an entire sermon and an entire series could be taught on this one topic alone. But I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest very fast condensed version. And here it is. Real quick. You ready? Okay. You got to trust me on this. I know you don't, but you got to trust me on this. First, in the Old Testament covenant, there was a requirement for the tithe. You already know that, but there's an S at the end of tithe because it wasn't the tithe, it was the tithes. In the Old Testament, it was plural, and tithe means 10%. Some of you are already starting to squirm. It's good. Because there was the Levitical tithe, right? That was 10% of your income that was given to the Levites because the Levites were who? They were the pastor guys and all the stuff to run the church. It was 10% to run the church, right? 10% of your income. It was required. It was the Levitical law. The second tithe, tithe number two, was the festival tithe. Now, the festival tithe was also 10% a year. And that was money that was put into the bucket, big bucket. It poured the money into that bucket. And what was that for? Well, that was because there was this celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles, which was to celebrate when God brought all of the Israelites out of Egypt, bondage to slavery. He brought them out. They complained and griped about it the whole time, right? And yet he was faithful. (laughs) He got them to the promised land after 40 years, but he required a 10% tithe for that. So they were up to 20%, but they weren't done yet. Because in the law, in the Old Testament, there was a third tithe. You see, that was called the charity tithe. That one was only required every third year. So on the third and the sixth year, right, you would pay your 10%. So when you added all of those up, the precept in the Old Testament covenant, what's a precept? A command was to pay 10%, 10%, 10% on the third and the sixth years, 23%. That was the law. Now we zoom forward a little bit when we talk about what, Wendy? Ah. So we talk about tithing in the new covenant, which we celebrate here and we will in just a minute. 
We are in the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? In the new covenant, in the blood of Jesus, we are instructed in the new covenant and as stewards of the word of God that we adhere to, Romans 10, 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Believe that. And if you believe that, look at Romans 6, 14b. It says, you are not under the law, you're under grace. And if you believe that, which I hope you do, then you'll look at Galatians 5, 18. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, before you think the whole idea of this tithe thinking is simply moot, if that's what you think by reading those scriptures... Well, we have to deal hermeneutically speaking. What does that word mean? Hermeneutics is nothing more than the art and science of biblical interpretation. We've got to figure out what this, what does God's word say? It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It matters what God's word says. So as we look at the Old Testament, and then we look at the New Covenant in the New Testament and we read these scriptures, hermeneutically speaking, we are absolutely required to deal with what Jesus himself said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, the whole of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus because we needed a Savior because we're sinners. Amen? All right. So, when we interpret scripture as we must always do it, we have to take the entire, the totality of the whole of Scripture. Okay? You can't put the Old Testament in the closet. The Old Testament has to come out of the closet, if you know what I mean. We take the whole counsel of God into consideration when we add 2 Corinthians 9, 7 into our hermeneutics, our interpretation of the tithe, and we see that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this, Each one must give as he has decided. Where? Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I hope that's a wow moment for you this morning. I know this has gone on a little long this morning, but that's, you know, sometimes that's what it takes to get the word of God into you. You see, because the precept of the tithe being the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. However, there is a huge biblical but. But not the principle of the tithe. You see, we are under grace, and we are not under the law. We are under grace. So as John Wesley said, Worship team, you guys want to come up? As John Wesley said when he preached a sermon in 1872 about the oikonomos of biblical financial stewardship, his sermon was entitled, The Use of Money. And he said, and I repeat from earlier, Earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that is God, the Holy Spirit in you, said that God loves a cheerful giver. 
So steward the entirety of your life as a wellspring, as a wellspring from your heart because oikonomos, stewardship, church, is a matter of the heart. Amen? We're going to pray and we're going to take communion and you are very familiar with us taking communion every week we do it. And the communion cups are here on the table in in a bowl this week. So as you come forward, I hope you just take a little bit of time to reflect on being a steward, a manager, a manager of all that God has given you, starting with your very first breath. The Bible says that God breathed the breath of life into us. And his heart for us is to be in an abiding relationship with him. Deep, sincere, loving, abiding relationship. One of the ways we demonstrate that is to have the right heart to come forward or sit in your seats. There are communion cups in front of you as well. And reflect on and remember, remember the Lord Jesus, who is the one that we are here to worship, who is the one who is faithful, who is the one who loves and cares for us. And on this side of eternity, as we think about oikonomos, I hope we think about it in the context of who the Lord is. His name, His character, His love, His faithfulness to us, all a foreshadow of what we will experience with Him over an eternity where He is now preparing that place for us because of how much he loves us. Amen? So let me pray quickly and then we can come up for communion, Father. Thank you. Thank you for biblical truth. Thank you for giving us the principles and the precepts in your word that give us guidance on how to live a godly life because, Lord, we want to do that. We want to do that to honor and glorify you in all things. But, God, we we are desperate for you because we don't get it right. So help us to be in the Spirit as we step out of this place even today, regardless of the fires that are burning out there. Fires in our relationships, fires in our finances, fires in our attitudes, fires. There just seem to be fires. Help us to steward our life in such a way that we make the, the gospel attractive because there are so many people that need to know you. So help us to start now as we come forward and take the communion, remembering you, Jesus, for who you are. And all God's people said, Amen. Just a few announcements as we continue to move into February. Next Saturday morning, uh, annual meeting. And uh, you're all invited to that, 9.30 here in the worship center and uh, really celebrate what God did 
last year, and then uh, we take some time looking forward to this year's budget and the vision for 2023. So that's next Saturday. Uh, a ministry opportunity, if you would like to participate and bless the, uh, the uh, community, the homeless shelter. Uh, Cindy Mullins is heading up a wonderful ministry where we provide lunches and items uh, for the homeless shelter lunches. So we're going to do that as a church February 19th and 26th. There's a sign-up sheet on the cart, and what it is is you're not going to actually make the lunches. You're going to contribute, if you would like to, contribute items that will be used for the lunches. So there's a list of items at the welcome cart, and if you would like to donate uh, a particular item, just put your name and phone number next to that, and Cindy will follow up with you. So February 19th and 26th, the next two Sundays, we have an opportunity to bless uh, the homeless ministry here in uh, the Ojai Valley. Uh, along with that, I encourage you to look at the bulletin online and in person so you can uh, stay up to date uh, with upcoming events, not just uh, in the near future, but into the year. Uh, men, just kind of you'll hear about this more next Sunday, but we got a men's breakfast coming up in March. So uh, love to connect with the men in March. 